I would like to introduce Al Miner, who is a curatorial assistant and assistant to the chief curator and acting director at the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Gardens. He um, has done independent curatorial work, including uh, a 2007 writing residency at Maryland Art Place, where he co-wrote an exhibition catalog with critics Eleanor Hartney and uh, Irving Sampler. And the recent exhibition, The Elusive Surrounding at Grimaldus, Grimaldus Gallery in Baltimore, Maryland. As an artist, he has exhibited extensively and received awards, including the DC, <laughs> including the DC Commission on, on the Arts and Humanities Young Artist Program Grant, and artist fellowships, as well as 2008 So Hamilton Fellowship. Minor holds an MFA in painting and mixed media from Queens College, CUNY, and a postgraduate certificate in museum studies from George Washington University. That's so without true. further ado. Thanks for coming, folks, and for getting to see our new piece, a commission by artist Dan Graham. I'll tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan was born in 1942 in Illinois, but he really grew up in suburban New Jersey, and a lot of his work has to do with architecture, and particularly criticizing urban spaces versus suburban spaces. So his upbringing has something to do with where his work comes from. He started his career not really as an artist, but as a gallerist. He ran a gallery in New York and was the first gallerist to show a lot of the minimal artists like Dan Flavin and Saul LeWitt, another influence that I think is pretty visible in this work and some of his other pieces too. As an artist, he started making work more like in the 70s. And in 1976, he did a piece for the Venice Biennale called Public Space to Audiences, which is the precursor to the kind of work you're seeing today. In that piece, a large rectangular room had a white wall on one end and a mirrored wall on the other end with a glass wall down the middle. And people could come into either room and be able to see the folks on the other side as well as their own reflection in the glass. So that's when he started playing with perception and space and sort of the difference between public and private and how we see ourselves and how others see us. Um, in 78, he did his first piece like this, and he calls them pavilions, and continued in the 80s, and now they're sort of his bread and butter. This pavilion is called for Gordon Bunshaft, and Gordon Bunshaft is the architect of the Hirshhorn. He worked for Owings, Gingler, and Merritt, and the Hirshhorn building opened in 74. But Bunshaft said about the building in his early writings that he conceived of it as a piece of functional sculpture. So the dialectic going on between this sculpture and the building is very close. Dan chose to use a curve in this piece, although he has been using curves since about 1990, to echo the curve of the building. So he's quoting our architecture, but he's also setting it up against the other formal elements of the piece. He uses steel, he uses glass, he's also written extensively about corporate and government architecture, criticizing that stuff and also sort of paying homage to it at the same time. The side to our left, which is the wooden lattice, is partially a Japanese influence. He did his first wooden piece in Japan, but continues to use them occasionally. But he says that this particular element here is an actual reference to Saul LeWitt, whose work is in the Hirshhorn's collection and can be seen in our learner room, which is the room up on the third floor from which you actually can see Dan's piece through the windows. And as Dan and LeWitt had a long relationship and he's a champion of the minimalist movement, he wanted to quote an artist in the collection as well as the architect who put it together. This is a commission, so basically what we do in that case is we go find an artist and we beg him to do something for us and pay him a lot of money, which we did. 
and he worked with us for a period of almost two years. So the piece is dated 2006 because that's when Dan made his first visit here and actually sketched out the piece that would, you know, go on to become what you see today. And then we worked for a year and a half back and forth, not only with the artist, but with his gallery, with his structural engineer, with his architect. He has a team of seven architects in Germany who work with him. He has a fabricator who makes the glass, another fabricator who creates the structures. And so at some point, the artist, after his initial concept, he did the drawing for the piece in one hour after his first visit here, in a way sort of his hands off. He faxes the drawing to the guy in Germany, and then the discussions really become between the manufacturing folks and the museum. So we went back and forth for a long period of time discussing everything from how much it weighs and if we could really put it here, and a lot of conversations about how a piece like this could function in federal space and in a public space where a lot of visitors would interact with it. Dan doesn't usually use handles on his doors, but because of ADA regulations and the fact that we have all kinds of visitors to the sculpture garden, we were able to come up with a little bit of a, you know, compromise um, with those which were designed by his architect. We also added the curved path, which Dan designed, which allows wheelchair access, and I think also just makes it sort of more approachable as a piece. Dan's always been interested in contradiction, so while we have this structure that's, you know, formal and glass and steel, the curve of the garden path is reminiscent of more like English gardens. He's interested in Baroque curves. He lived in Munich in the 80s um, and is interested in Rococo curves and architecture and Rococo ceilings. So he's always sort of pairing two unlike elements against each other. The other big part about his work and comes a lot from the fact that he did really start in performance is that he really wants people to interact with them. So we're all standing back here safe in the shade and looking at it. But what he wants us to do is to go inside the piece, move around outside of it, and have a social experience with strangers, with other people we might meet in the garden. You'll note when you're around it that the kind of glass he uses, which is a specific kind of two-way mirror glass, has both transparent and reflective properties. So at different times of the day, depending on the sunlight, it's more reflective than others. So sometimes you can really see your own face very clearly and you can only vaguely see people on the other side of the glass. But as the day goes on, it sort of, you know, as there's more light, it becomes more and more loose and you see more reflections. And that changes throughout the day. So time is definitely an element in his work. At dusk, it's its most dramatic when you can really see yourself and the others reflected and through the glass very clearly. One thing that's happening that we're going to tell you about just for fun is that we didn't think about it and neither did Dan, but the sun hits the piece at a certain time of day through the curve and burns a hole in the grass. So there's a little yellow patch that we're going to consider part of the artwork, I'd say, that is resulting from the placement of the work and the placement of the sun in the middle of the day. So these are the challenges that happen when you work with an artist and when, you know, to some degree, there are very detailed plans and drawings for this piece, but it's all a big experiment. We don't know until the folks get here just how it's gonna work in our space, how it's gonna work in terms of other elements around like climate and sunlight. So it's a bit of a learning curve and we're working with it. Um, Another thing that's interesting in terms of Dan's choices for this particular work is the slate on the inside, which is very sort of plain and nondescript as he wanted, is supposed to sort of harken to suburban patios, the kind of stuff that maybe your parents have 
at their house in their yard or in their driveway. But it took us a year and a half to find the right ugly slate um, to meet the artist's requirements because everything we showed him was too nice. So that slate comes from a specific quarry in Vermont from one single sheet that the artist approved and it has been used in New Jersey before. So it was very deliberate. Everything is very deliberate that you see. Um, do people want to walk around it? The way that glass actually works is that there's two thick pieces of glass with a film between them sandwiched in the middle and it's that film that makes the transparency thing happen. He can order it to be X percentage opaque or X percent reflective or transparent. So you slightly adjust it for different audiences. If you stand on this side of the curve, you look pretty horrible. Um, this side, Dan says, is where kids are supposed to stand and it makes them look like Superman because it makes them look strong. I just feel fat. If you stand on the inside through the doors, you'll find that it has the opposite effect. It will slim you out and make you taller. So in his conversations with me, he said that's where the moms are supposed to stand. So the moms stand on the inside and feel tall and thin, and their munchkins stand on the outside and look brawny and beefy. I'm gonna spend a lot of time on the inside of the sculpture for the rest of my days at the Hirschhorn. And depending on where you stand too, you'll see that we can see, okay, so we can see ourselves. If there was someone inside, we'd see them. But at different times there, you'll also see things like the lattice gets repeated. So if you look at it here, you can see the lattice both on the side where it is, but it's also now being repeated into the right side. So it's sort of almost like a prism. It multiplies everything around it. So the trees in the garden, the pool at different points of time, the ramp leading down are visible in the glass and sometimes multiplied or magnified depending on where you are. Somebody asked me a question so I can stop yammering. Why did he want to put the um, pavilion here specifically and if, what about its placement in this patch of grass? We, did, we gave him the patch of grass, so that was the only constraint we gave him. We told him, this is your spot and you can do whatever you want with it. He wanted it as close as possible to the water so that the water surface would reflect into the doors so you can actually see sort of the undulation of the water. And he was very into sort of asymmetry. Like if you, know, if you were to look at the Hirschhorn from above, the fountain is not exactly symmetrical in the middle of the building. So he chose to place this piece slightly askew and slightly off-center. And we are going to put another sculpture back on the other side of this plot of grass, which the artist is helping select. Dan did specify that he also wanted that piece to sort of be askew, so that they have a sort of dynamic dance going on. It doesn't look as formal or as rigid. Are they all generally this shape? There, there is a variety of shapes. There are ones that are more triangular, like this one. There are ones that are larger, that are sort of elliptical and ovoid. There have been ones that are almost like a series of rectangular rooms, where you walk in and you move from sort of section to section. But they frequently involve three to four sides. Sometimes there are two curves. They're, the curves are more recent than the pieces that were all angular. Did he um, consider the other sculptures in the garden when he was coming up with this design? He did get to walk around the garden and actually was provided images of the work that would be around it and drawings of the garden with those little thumbnails we have of all the pieces. But honestly, I would say no. His pavilions have a very specific look. Each one is different and made for its environment, but there are certain elements that are always the same. The scale's about the same in all of them. Um, 
He has two different types of molding he uses, one that's slightly thinner and one that's slightly thicker. So this one's a little more substantial than some of the others, but they all have a very signature look to them. Uh, what, el what else about Dan? Dan loves rock and roll and punk. Um, and the only way I could draw a parallel to that in his actual work is that there is sort of a slightly trippy experience of seeing the layers of perception. So we can hearken that back to drug culture, I would say. Um, you know, he loves, he loves architectural history, he's into urban planning, he's into music, he's done a lot of collaborations with bands, he's done pavilions that have TVs in them, he's done pavilions that have stereo equipment in them that play music. So they're always sort of a social experience and they're places that are supposed to be interactive and playful and activated by people. I know he really wanted this piece to be a space where folks would bring a picnic or just hang out around the work and really, you know, have it become sort of, you know, something they interact with, part of their backyard, not a piece of art that you approach formally and feel afraid to touch or to get close to.